What's going on? This is the man of the hour, Leo Rush, and you are now listening to Matt Madness Podcast. They talking all of this madness, talking all of this madness, talking all of this madness. They Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Matt Madness Wrestling Podcast. I am your host, Ron Pashery Jr., and with me today, my good friend, uh, Mr. Friday Afternoon Live. <laughs> we call him Alo. The ladies call him Balo. Aaron Lloyd. You're joining us for a bonus. I guess we're considering it a, a quarantine special yes. today. Yes. <laughs> uh, hopefully, there will be more episodes joining this one. Uh, but today, Aaron and I are going to review the the Monday Night Raw from March 25th, 2002, the first ever draft. Uh, in WWE, uh, took place at Penn State, which I didn't remember that that fact, which was kind of a kind of a fun little little tidbit when I turned it on. Um, <laughs> so, what was it specifically that made you want to review this this Raw? So, when we reviewed the final Nitro, I had the 2004 draft in the background, and I was like, "Wait, there was another draft." Let me let me watch the original draft because after we would finish recording, I. I was like, let me just think. Of, let me go back to the original O2 draft. So I did that, and I was like, oh my god, a lot of this is like golden, especially for your hatred towards Rich, Richard <laughs> at the moment. And I saw Kurt Angle on the screen, and I was like, oh my god, this is amazing. Pass would love every <laughs> second of this, and just the idea of like the ruthless aggression documentaries on the network right now, and then also the whole fact of you not actually being a big fan of the brand split. In general, I thought it was funny. And just the idea of them actually making this actually work. And this show was actually a lot, of, a lot of fun. The matches were whatever, but a lot of the focus was put on the draft. And they made it seem important. It wasn't like completely over ridiculous like they do now. But I did thoroughly enjoy it. It was, it was a lot of enter- pure entertainment, I thought, in this entire episode. Uh, agreed. And this is, again, one of those things... So, like, most things that happen, there are some things that happen in your life that it's, like, an immediate thing, like, my life is one way this moment, and then this thing happens, and then everything is different. But most things happen, like, a little bit at a time. There might be, like, one event that starts a ball rolling, and eventually you end up in this very different place. This is, like, one of those moments along the road that led me to not watching WWE for that six- or seven-year period. Really? It was like this kind of we're at the beginning of this. So it, part of it was like when all the WCW guys started coming in, which, which I've talked about numerous times. Where I was like, no, like I'm, I'm not here for all these guys. I hated these guys when they were on Nitro. I don't want to watch them now. And that sort of like left a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth. Then the brand split, I was not like a big fan of. Then... It was like the introduction of the guys like Cena and Orton and that next generation. I was like, nope, these guys aren't going to be as good as Austin and The Rock and HBK. And it was just like, and then you'd see like your your Brock Lesnar's and your Batistas and all these guys like getting introduced in. And it's like, this isn't, this isn't what I want to watch. And it just was like this slow thing of me like getting a little less interested, a little less interested. And then I just like wasn't interested at all anymore. And then it took a combination of the WWE Network and NXT and the, like, Daniel Bryan WrestleMania 30 storyline and, like, kind of the the rise of Bray Wyatt and the Wyatt family that got me interested again. Uh, NXT was probably the thing that really, like, hooked me the most. Obviously going to the Rumble live uh, in 2015, right? Yep. That was part of it. So there were like a lot of a lot of things that kind of led to me getting back into it. But this was like the early days of my interest starting to like slow down a little bit. Um, but we opened the show with Linda McMahon addressing the locker room, <laughs> which I, it, I mean, I always laugh at these kind of settings, like it's the so idea of it's all so these good. people sitting together calmly and it's so good though. <laughs> Like, we might hate each other, we might be feuding, but okay, now we're going to sit in these chairs next to each other and and listen to our (laughs) boss tell us what's going to happen. Yeah, always laugh at these these types of settings. It just looks so funny. And people either, you know, some people, you know, with just a t-shirt on, some people in, like, their actual, like, in-ring attire, always hilarious. Uh, We get the stipulation that 
The three contestants in the triple threat match for the Undisputed Championship are not up for grabs, which were Triple H, uh, Stephanie, and Jericho. And then Austin, what was it, a stipulation in his contract says he can't be drafted? Yeah, He's automatically a free agent. <laughs> I was like, since when? <laughs> right, there's never been a draft before. This has never been a topic, never been an issue, but somehow he has it written into his contract that he can't be drafted. Oh my god, it was so good. I was, I was like, damn, Rich Paul struck even in 2002. <laughs> yeah, he, Steve Austin, uh, notorious for being ahead of the curve with the collective bargaining <laughs> agreement. Uh, but yeah, like good opening scene sets the tone for like what the night is going to be. Uh, and then you get Jr. and King uh, introing the show. And anytime I see like an intro from anywhere in this era, with the, with those two especially. You see, like, you hear the crowd, you see all the signs, you feel the energy that's in the building, and it's like, this used to be a fun and exciting thing to watch every Monday yes. night. Like, and some things I think we, we overrate because, like, most things are always better when we're younger. Yeah. Like, I think a lot of us think that way. But this isn't one of those cases. This It actually was fun yeah. and exciting to watch. Whether you're my age and you were, you know, 22 at the time... Or whether you were, what are you? What were you? Ten? Yes. Whether you were ten at the time, whether you were my age now, if you were like forty at the time, like people were excited to tune into this show every week because it was fun and entertaining and interesting, and like how far it has fallen. Like I can't even imagine a ten-year-old now being super excited to tune into Raw every week. Yeah, especially it's not like must-watch TV like it was for me. Like, oh my god, I can't, I can't wait for Raw Monday night. But you, know, you know, you can, you're so, you're so conditioned to like, okay, well, Raw comes on, so I gotta turn on Raw. But, ne- but even like watching this, I thought to myself, like, wow, like this was really, really good. It, as ridiculous as it was, I thought it was excellent. Yeah, no, like it legitimately, I would look forward to watching it. You know, I was 22 years old. I had a life. You know, like there were things I had going on in my life at the time, but I would still look forward to watching Raw every week. Now, um, in a quarantine, uh, can't go to work, uh, can't do things like Uber Eats or whatever because I don't want to be like either picking up this virus or unknowingly having it and not showing symptoms and passing it to everyone that I come in contact with. So I there's no, nothing I really can do. Like I'm... On, I just finished season two, episode seven of Ozark, which I don't even like. Really? Every, I, yeah, I don't like it at all. Well, the thing with Ozark, I didn't watch the first two seasons, but I'm good at like jumping in. So I watched the third one with Angel and I was like, oh, shit, I, I actually pr- like this because when it first came on, I wasn't a fan. But the third season, I was like, oh, my God, this is actually pretty good. So maybe so I got usually I'll give shows a four episode chance. The reason for episodes specifically is because episode four of Lost was like the iconic episode in like the first half of that first season of the show. That's the episode where a lot of people like went from, okay, this is kind of a cool show, a cool concept to, oh, I love this show and I'm like completely devoted to it every week. So because of that, I have a four episode rule. If you, yeah, same here. You get four episodes to hook me and if not, I'm probably going to you know, go find something else to do. Yeah. Cause but my I've, cousin, she, uh, she wasn't into stranger things. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, I told her, me and Angel was telling her, you gotta give it like four to five episodes. It's a slow burn, but it actually gets really good. And now she's hooked. Yeah. There are some shows that are like that where like the introduction isn't necessarily easy to get into, but like once you hit that certain point, like you fall in love with it. So I never got there with Ozark, but because I have like nothing else to do, I'm almost like hate watching it at this point. Where I'm like, okay, what am I going to not like about this episode? Yeah. There's like two characters that I really like on the show. And almost everyone else is unlikable. Like, <laughs> And I love Jason Bateman in general. But it's not easy to, to root for him in Ozark. But he's the one you're supposed to be rooting for. I already know you hate Ruth. Ruth is one of the two I like, actually. Really? Yes. Um, I... Because I think what I like about her is, one, she has the type of country accent that, like, humors me, <laughs> where it almost sounds like, like a cartoonish 
country accent. The accent I hate is the like the the main villain guy, uh, Jacob Snell. Okay. I um and it, I I like to hate a villain. Like if you can make me hate you, I lo- like I love it. I don't hate him in the sense of like oh th- like this guy I'm rooting against him. It's like as soon as he talks, I'm just like oh my god with this fucking accent. Like it's like such a like I can't even understand him half the time. I can't stand him, and not in the way you'd want to not stand a villain. But Ruth, I like, and I like that she's supposed to be this like trashy nobody but she's actually smart and Mm -hmm. like creative and thoughtful and you do see she's one of the few characters that you actually see like there's more to her than Mm -hmm. what you thought from the beginning so i like ruth and i like um buddy who's the guy that that lives with them in the in the house Mm -hmm. they're my two favorite characters and almost anybody else i'm like "Mm." you can't root like it's really hard to root for the birds it's really difficult like I hate the Snells, I hate the FBI guy. It's like who am I supposed to be rooting for in this? Like the, <laughs> the yeah, well, main family. You, it's well, wait to get to season three. Yeah, well, I'm almost there. I think I have three episodes left on season two, and then and see. Yet I might have have given up on it, except for like yesterday, for instance. I was making my second round of pizza dough, which. <laughs> There's time into it to actually make it by hand, which after yesterday, hours? not not quite that. <laughs> well, it's a long process actually, um, <laughs> but I'll never make pizza dough by hand after this second time. Uh, I got an attachment for my food processor processor that will allow me to do that. But because I was doing this thing that was just taking time, I was like, I might as well let this keep playing. Um, so like. Even at a time, all of this to say that even at a time where I'm just watching a show I definitively don't like, I still am not like, you know what, I should watch Raw. Even when there's (laughs) nothing else to do, that's not something that crosses my mind. But back then, when I had a lot going on in my life as a 22-year-old, I would like wait for it and look forward to it every week. So it's like, I don't know if there's any way to really ever get back to that because... Like the one thing I could say in defense of WWE is it's not like there are any shows on TV that are getting like the viewership that shows were getting 15, 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Just because there's so much more to watch, there's so much more to do that's not on TV uh, than there was back then. But viewership aside, they're just not doing anything that makes it fun. They're not doing anything that makes yeah. you want to come back and watch. Um, and this goes a little bit hand in hand with something that I talked about on our last show, and we all did. The idea that maybe we saw a couple matches on WrestleMania this year that will help shape like the next generation for them that will make it something more interesting. Because if you think about it, what you see on Raw right now is basically exactly the same format as you saw 20 years ago. Yeah, like, uh, somewhat to an extent. Yeah, I Format-wise, it's yeah. like... It's it's the same. Like, guys come out and talk. There are matches. There are some backstage segments. Nothing really is different other than, like, the announcers aren't as good. They don't do as good of a job at telling the stories. And there's, like, a lot more annoying ads and cross-promotion now than there was back then. Um, but, like, the actual format of, like, how they present it is basically the same. So my hope is they're... F- figuring out a new way to present it that will make it more exciting again i hope i I don't know i don't know if we'll we'll see that though i I definitely don't think we'll ever get back to the level of of excitement we had around this time no Uh, and i don't know if anybody could expect that even aew i don't know no the people that watch aew are like the people who are ardent like passionate fans who still aren't as excited for aew as like the average guy was for WWE, like at this or WWF at this time. Yeah, and everybody, and like similar to you, everybody was fading out at this time as well. But the thing with the whole big boom in wrestling was it was worldwide. Like you always say, like anybody you see anybody with a Stone Cold Steve Austin shirt, say, like, oh, that's a Stone Cold Steve Austin shirt or a DX shirt. But now you can't even get that. You'll get the same pop of those same certain types of shirts, but somebody has maybe a Cody shirt on, unless you're like a 
diehard fan, you won't get anybody really acknowledge it. Like at the gym, I wear wrestling shirts at the gym and I'll get, I'll wear like a bullet club shirt or Marty scroll shirt and somebody will throw up a two sweet at me. But how many people will like, out of the entire just probably let's say 50 people in the gym i might get a two sweet out of one or two people yeah if you walked into a gym with an austin 316 shirt even if nobody said anything you know 90 percent of those people if not more are going to know exactly what that shirt yeah. is if you walk in with a, a can you smell what the rock is cooking t-shirt or like even just a brahma bull t-shirt 90 percent of people are going to know what that is uh same thing with dx um but yeah, you're right. Like anybody, the only thing I think that most people would know now is if you walked in with a Cena shirt, and mm-hmm. it's not like Cena is new. Cena's been around for for 15 yeah. plus years. So, and people know John Cena from a lot of stuff he's done outside of WWE the last few years. Yeah. Um, Taz versus Mr. Perfect as the opening match, which I wasn't expecting to see. Mr. In Perfect. 2002, yeah, when that started, I was like, well, what the hell? Who booked this? <laughs> Didn't expect it at all. Uh, very quick, uh, quick match. Uh, Mr. Perfect jobbed out to the Taz mission, but uh, Kurt Hennig could still move at this time. Like he was actually still yeah. like good in the ring, looked good. Uh, one of the things I had to laugh at, and I don't know, you might have been a little young for this. Someone in like the third or fourth row had a sign, a Rab himself sign, which was a guy from Jackass and. Viva La Bam. I don't know if you watched either of those shows no. at the time, but he was a friend of Bam Margera, which I thought was funny. Like one of the most random signs you could have asked for. Some like throwaway guy from from Jackass or Viva La Bam. <laughs> Not even one of the main guys. Um But yeah, interesting opening match. Like you said, not not none of these matches were like excellent matches, but it was fun to see Mr. Perfect. Uh, we head back to the war room of Richard Flair and Arn Anderson by his side. I guess the assistant GM. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, vice president of player personnel, maybe. Uh, they're talking about Vince having the first pick. Uh, they just got off the call on the uh, <laughs> <laughs> on the the old school telephone. Um, and then we go to Mr. McMahon's war room, who's picking for SmackDown. Um, and I, one of my favorite things of this whole little opening segment is him walking away from the desk to walk out to make his pick, and you just see like the photo of Kurt Angle in the folder. Yeah, that, that was great. <laughs> yeah, everybody's profile on it, yeah. and then Kurt Angle's eight by ten. Yeah. That was good. <laughs> Thought that was awesome. Uh, Mr. McMahon is now on the clock, comes out to make the first ever draft pick in the history of the World Wrestling Federation, and fittingly, his pick was The Rock. If you can't pick the Undisputed Champion, and if you can't pick Stone Cold Steve Austin, who else are you going to pick but The Rock? Uh, Picks The Rock. The Rock is very unhappy about it. Um, Did I'm trying to remember. Were there... Had they been talking about The Undertaker being his pick leading up to this or no? Well, Grant, we reviewed uh, WrestleMania 18 a few weeks ago. So this was a week after WrestleMania mm-hmm. 18. So so you got the Raw the night after and you got the week after is, th- is this. But I don't recall him actually bringing that up because also it was a free agent at the time. Mm-hmm. So it's like the top picks – it's The Rock, number one, Vincent, number one pick. And then after that, Ric Flair was also feuding with Undertaker still at this time, too. So it was between The Undertaker or who else for his number one pick. Because all the stars that are named, The Rock's already going into Undisputed Champion. Like you said, Triple H, he's on both shows already. So I guess Vince, with his uh, mental acumen, as he used to always like to say, uh, is thinking, I can take The Rock first. Clearly... Richard is not going to take the Undertaker, so I can get a great yeah. value pick number three. I, I, I love like, so, like the, the we'll get to the strat the draft strategy in a minute, but I love the whole draft strategy idea. Yeah, I loved it. <laughs> so almost like Vince is thinking he could get two number one picks for the price yeah. of one. Um, Rock not happy about it. The Rock comes out to address the uh, the Penn State crowd. Uh, Vince. Mentions his new rules, where <laughs> so good. Never again will you put your hands on me on SmackDown. Uh, you will never again talk about putting your foot up anyone's candy ass. Uh, 
never use again. It doesn't matter because it does matter, Rock. It matters to me. Uh, then goes on to talk about how I made Hogan and I brought you into this world and I can take you out. Uh, which crowd did not like very much. I think the crowd even started an asshole chant during this and Vince is like, he's my number one pick. Don't talk about the Rock like <laughs> <So> that. <good. laughs> the Rock obviously responds to the new rules and the idea that he was brought into this world by Vince McMahon. Um, the Rock kind of lists his resume of all the things he's done on Raw. Um, and he says it's the people who made The Rock. And then he starts the In the Spirit of the We Are Penn State chant. He starts the You Are an Asshole chant, which would last throughout the entire evening. So good. Um, he had almost as much as, and granted, this is probably not viewed as like one of the like biggest moments in in WWF history or this era of WWF history. But like you watch that and there are not many guys in the history of wrestling that had a crowd in the palm of their hand, the way the rock did. Yeah, definitely. Like right here. So like this opening segment between Vince and the rock, like what were, what were your feelings? Like if you remember back then and, and like rewatching it now. Well, when I saw this, this was like kind of like my, my thumbs up. Okay, I gotta bring this up this, to Pash because we have mm-hmm. to review it because that whole opening segment was great with the Rock and Vince. So, like the whole Vince is saying, look, some th- things are gonna change around here, Rock. Like no more candy ass and all mm-hmm. that stuff. I thought I thought it was perfect. And the way the Rock just looked at him, it was like, wait, 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 whoa, 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 just shutting all that shit down. Uh-huh. I lo- I, I loved every second of it. I that whole open that whole first draft pick montage that ho- that got me sold on. We have to review this show. What and then it? what's and then what's coming up after this? <laughs> So this was an excellent uh, opening segment. It was a lot of fun. Obviously, both guys kind of on the top of their game going back and forth at each other. Um, Richard Flair comes out to make his pick. He chooses The Undertaker, who is even less happy than The Rock was. You get the uh, famous uh, the famous gif of him like poking up, picking down the sunglasses. Yeah. To <laughs> we got the uh, Limp Biscuit infamous... Theme music played during this, and Mr. McMahon just as pissed off as The Undertaker. Uh, but the coup de grace of this whole thing is Kurt Angle just hanging out in the war room with Vince. He's not picked, he's not on his team yet, but he's hanging out in Vince's war room and just says to Vince, Well, Vince says to Kurt, I can't believe Flair took The Undertaker. And Kurt said, well, I can't believe you hurt my feelings. (laughs) His feelings hurt because Vince didn't pick him number one as he thought he should have been picked number one because he's he's a gold medalist. Um, Mark Calloway goes storming into Vince's war room, you know, fuming. You told me he wouldn't pick me, saying, like, you told me I was going to be here. I was not going to be working for Ric Flair. And Vince going overboard with the, I'll make it right, you have my word. And The Undertaker, not very trusting of Vince, saying, I hope this is one time you do keep your word. And the segment ends with the camera just kind of, The Undertaker storms out of the room, and then the camera kind of pans over. You just see Kurt's face like... <laughs> <laughs> really, and... We've probably overdone it about Kurt Angle at this point. Anytime we come up on the show, (laughs) no, we haven't. We've overdone it in the sense that I feel like there's only so much you could say without saying the same things over and over again. But for a guy who was such a successful, serious athlete, to be able to bring that to WWF, but also be able to bring his level of like humor and silliness, like who could have ever foreseen that? It's like, like I'm gonna jump ahead for a second, but even in the next segment with him and Vince, he's just like running off his achievements of a '95, a mm-hmm. 1995 champion, <laughs> 1996 gold, gold, gold medal Olympic winner, European champion, intercontinental two-time He's like, Kurt, will you stop? <laughs> yeah, it's so we could talk about the Rock. You look at the Rock here, and you see the entertainment capability he had back then, and the ability to like, like. 
electrify people, so to speak. But nobody could have ever thought he was going to go on and be like the biggest movie star in the world less than 20 years later. No doubt. When Kurt Angle came in, who could have thought like his humor and like entertainment would be just as good, if not better, than his actual athletic ability in the ring? Who would have ever predicted that? Who could have ever predicted that? But like any time he's there in that type of role, he's stealing the show. And it's hard to steal the show from Vince, but Kurt was definitely doing (laughs) it here. Um Edge and DDP versus uh, Christian and Booker T in a tag match. Again, not much to this, just four guys that kind of all have been involved with each other recently in in some way, shape, or form. Booker T gets uh, the pin, probably like a five-minute match at the most, maybe six. Um, We go back to Kurt in Vince's war room, like you said, listing his accomplishments off the back of his photo, which, I mean, even that's funny. It's one thing if he's just talking about all of his accomplishments. (laughs) The fact that he's holding up the little sheet with his picture on the front, reading his accomplishments off the back like it's a baseball card, killed me. Um, And yeah, like he wants, clearly wants to work for Vince. I should have been your number one pick, but I should be your number two pick. Um, And I forget what exactly it was he said, that sold Vince on it. There was like one specific thing he said where Vince was like, okay, but I can't remember what it was now. Um, oh, no, he's like, he, he already took the Undertaker. He's he's thinking about taking me. Yeah. He wouldn't take the NWO, so right. take me. Right, <laughs> so that's what it was. Right he sells him on the fact that, that he won't take the NWO because he's obviously not on good terms with the NWO. So you can get me and then get the NWO next. Uh, Vince doesn't even go out to the podium. He picks Kurt right from his war room. Um, And then Richard immediately turns around and picks the NWO. Um, And now Vince is even more furious. And this, (laughs) this might be the highlight of the whole show for me is Kurt following Vince around the war room, like walking directly behind him as Vince is pacing around. Vince snaps on Kurt. Um, and he ends up taking Benoit, who wasn't on the show, right? If I remember no, correctly, he, no, he was still out with neck sur- with uh, from neck surgery. But he he will come back. I think maybe two or three months later. Yeah, uh, but Kurt whispers in Vince. You'd think that Vince maybe would have learned. I shouldn't be listening to Kurt Angle, but he takes Kurt Angle's advice and picks Chris Benoit. We get the NWO confronting uh, Richard Flair in his war room saying they'll only listen to Vince, which is really funny. The idea that (laughs) these guys who kind of made their, I don't want to say made their name, but they they became what they were as the NWO because they wouldn't listen to anybody, because they did whatever they wanted, because they ran roughshod over an entire company. But here they are coming to WWE saying, no, we'll only, only this guy can be our boss. Like they would even care about that. Like, isn't that the whole point of the NWO is nobody yeah. is really their boss? <laughs> yeah, well, even though Vince did bring them in, but I, I, I see your point. Yeah, that made me laugh. Like, you guys should be anti-authority regardless, not, well, no, we want to pick who tells us what to do. Like, that that was funny to me. Um, and Richard kind of gets the best of them in that confrontation and picks Kane. Uh, so now Richard has The Undertaker the NWO, and Kane, all pretty formidable forces uh, for for Monday Night Raw. Um, We get a match with Trish and Ivory, and holy shit, what a mess this was. (laughs) Still young Trish. Yeah, like, it is amazing. I don't know, does she get enough credit for getting as good as she got? I think she does, yeah. See, I wonder, because I don't know if people's appreciation for her is as much about that as as other things. Uh, but when you watch a match like that and you're like, oh, my God, the fact that she became even remotely good is a miracle. Because it's not like she was a 20-year-old that wasn't good at this. Like, she was, you know, at least mid-20s or late-20s by this point, I think. Mm-hmm. So the fact that she got as good as she got from where she was starting is really impressive because that was terrible. Like, yeah, 
Yeah, and Ivory and Jackie are always were always the ones that known as the workers, and they threw her in there with Trish. But this was just not good. But like I said, when it comes to these women in the in the division back then, going up to late in the ruthless aggression hour, like for example, like Candace Michelle, she used to be horrible, but she grew to be respectable in the long run. So I do always appreciate the constant growth of a woman actually developing. Yeah, yeah, like she deserves all the credit in the world because you clearly don't. You don't get good at wrestling without a lot of hard work. And you definitely don't go from terrible in your 20s to good by the time you're like 30 without putting in an insane amount of work. So it's why we give Shayna Baszler, I I specifically always give her a lot of credit for in a very short time going from someone who I cringed watching to someone who like I actually believe the shit is real that she's doing. Like a lot of growth from her and she's, you know, like my age so it's not mm-hmm. even like she's doing it in her 20s she's doing it like late 30s into her 40s getting better um but yeah this was was just terrible uh vince takes hogan um which is interesting the two guys that he pointed out that he made are now the two guys that he's kind of building his his new smackdown brand around um and these two yeah. guys who just had this you know classic Sports entertainment match at WrestleMania eight days before are now teaming up on the same brand. Yeah, I, I found it hard to believe that Hogan was cool with being them before. I know. <laughs> you know what? Behind the scenes, he probably wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, listen, dude. Okay, brother. But yeah, I'm I'm shocked that he would have been okay being number four. But he he didn't uh, make a stink about it on the show. Um, we had an ad for the Diva swimsuit issue, which is was funny. Like I didn't even, I kind of forgot they even did that. <laughs> uh, we had Richard picking RVD, the Intercontinental Champion, uh, and I actually like this that Vince was mad because he wanted to have the Intercontinental Championship on his show. Like the idea that he even cared about that. Yeah, but I the best part was, was good. Best part was Kurt was like, "Hello, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah." So you, you Intercontinental title. Yeah, so you get Kurt. Again, in his strategic mode, his advisory role to Vince McMahon saying, if you want if you want the Intercontinental Championship, just book me in a match tonight <laughs> and I'll bring it back to SmackDown with me. And Vince now is, has never been more sold on Kurt Angle. Like, oh, great idea. <laughs> and says he'll book the match. Uh, we get a promo backstage with The Rock and Hogan. Um, Still looking darker than The Rock. Yeah. Yes. Uh we have to it's have to say that every time we see these two on screen together. So they had this match eight days before. They then had to come together uh, after the fact. So h- how do you like remember these two kind of working together back at this time? Like, what were your thoughts on the two of these guys kind of sharing the stage for a little while? Well, it was actually fun for me as a ten year old kid because no matter what, even if you started watching wrestling past Hogan's um, heyday. You still loved Hogan already because you knew the name. You saw the, the tapes, and with The Rock, he was like our one of our heroes. So he's essentially our Hogan as well. So I was excited, but it would be short lived because The Rock would head on. I think he did the rundown after this because after I think he's gone for maybe th- two or three months, about two or three two or three months after the next SmackDown because he I think I believe he's filming the rundown at this time trying to remember what all movies he did in this era like he obviously did the scorpion king which i believe was the first one yeah well he did the mummy too he had that cgi role so there they was did, that the they rundown did the, scorpion the tooth king. fairy was that one kind of around or was um, that a little later that's a little later the ones i know mummy mummy too because he, he 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 missed a like a week in 2000 to do that the Scorpion King was during his hiatus in 2001, and I believe the rundown was this because the rundown came out in 2003, I believe, and he did Walking Tall. And I think after that, he's pretty much done. That was the one with Sean William Scott, right? Yeah, rundown, yeah. Um, yeah, fun to see these two guys together, fun to see them working together, um, deciding they want to challenge uh, the NWO to a handicap match. Um, crowd obviously loving every second of it. Uh, Hulkamania almost was running wild again at this point uh, for like a second time in WWF. Uh, <laughs> it Vince, did actually, yeah. Vince he won the title. Yeah, he did. Not long after this, right? 
Yeah. Um, Vince picks Billy and Chuck, who again would be one of the biggest things in the company if they had happened right now, like in this generation. Yeah. Rico to stylus. <laughs> yeah. The uh, chops. We got an ad for Lugs, which is was kind of funny. A, a, a very forgotten about brand by me. I don't know if you remember Lugs. I remember them. <laughs> uh, then we actually immediately get the Hogan and Rock versus the NWO match. We have X-Pac wearing Goldberg's shorts. Uh, do you think scott hall gets remembered for being as big as he was because you see him in there with hogan and he's like well bigger than hogan well you'll see where i'm going with this this might not make sense to a lot of people but i think razor ramon gets remembered for how big he is scott hall now yeah i i just feel like he he was a huge guy and I don't even I don't even mean big in the sense of like popularity, but just like his physical stature. I don't think people remember him being as big as he was. Maybe because he spent all those years with Nash, who clearly was significantly bigger. But you see him in there with Hogan, and he's bigger than Hogan. I'm like, wow. I I don't know if people because Hogan was billed as like a big man for like his whole career, and mm-hmm. Scott Hall is bigger than him. Which mm-hmm. were later in Hogan's years, but it just kind of was jarring to me like how big he looked even next to hogan um this match kind of i I guess the only thing i could really say is like kind of was what it was i appreciated the the little ticker on the bottom of the screen (laughs) like it was espn2 with listing the picks uh and then kane comes out to disqualify um hogan and the rock and i did appreciate hogan's reaction to the NWO being announced as the winners of the match, like as if he somehow <laughs> couldn't believe they were disqualified. <laughs> it was like classic eighties wrestling silliness, like that look on his face. Uh, like, dude, the guy interfered on your behalf. He took out your opponents. Obviously you're disqualified, but he went in there as if they were about to get their hands raised as the winners, but they weren't. Um, Vince confronts Richard and Arn Anderson in their war room, uh, confronts them for stealing The Undertaker and the NWO. Uh, he even says something along the lines of, who even knows what's going on in that demented mind of yours? <laughs> and Richard brings up, the, we're, we're 50-50 now. I don't have to listen to anything you say. And this was, again, one of the highlights for me, is them now one-upping each other on, oh, you're going to pick him? Then I'll pick him. And it just went yeah. back and forth for like, Five picks. Yeah, and so, then the best part was that it caught up the uh, it caught up the, to Vince because Vince uh, Rick was like, "Yeah, well, I hope when you, I hope Rikishi shoves his ass right in your face mm-hmm. again." Yeah, so you get Flair takes Booker T, Vince takes Edge, and he even did that hand motion that Vince does. <laughs> Edge. Uh, <laughs> Flair takes Big Show. Vince takes Rikishi, and then that leads to the the comment about Rikishi's ass on Vince's face. And Vince shoves Richard back onto the chair and storms out. Jeff Hardy versus Billy in a one-on-one match. We had kind of a rough Lita spot where she hit her head on the announce table. Um, Jeff with the roll-up win. Again, like in other matches, it was just kind of like a blur and it was over. Um, WWF live ad, uh, which I don't even really know what that was about. Was that just about like live events? Yeah, just saying. I guess I'm seeing, seeing WWF live. Um, we have Richard picking Bubba Ray Dudley, and then Vince out of spite taking Devon, breaking up the Dudley I love boys. That in retrospect, yeah, because it was like you actually kind of heard the crowd go like, ah, oh, like yeah, disappointment. It, like, did they yeah. actually care? Did they got split up? Yeah, because they needed that because they were saying that tag teams would be split up. Etc. So they had to have a tag team split up. There would be two tag teams that did split up during this. It was the Bellies and the APA. They would go their separate ways. But you had the. I'm glad that they actually televised the whole Bellies one because they were known as like the decorated tag team in WWF at the time. And at the same time, at the same time with Bellies and the Hardys were soon split after this later in the summer. What else can they do? Right. Yeah. Like there's the, only so much. That you could do. And, like, if you're going to – it's almost like when you watch 
a show like, say, The Walking Dead as an example, or Game of Thrones as an example, if you have, like, your your main characters that everyone cares about, say every show has, like, four to eight characters that are, like, beloved by fans. Yeah. And no matter what happens every week, no matter whatever craziness they get into, no matter who they get attacked by or what dangerous situation they're in, if all those people that you love the most just come out of it anyway, at a certain point, there's almost no consequences to the actions, which makes it like you are not as invested in the the danger, quote-unquote, if you know no one's really in danger. So this was actually like a consequence of these rules. Like we we said we could split up tag teams, and now here we just split up one of the most beloved tag teams in the history of the of the business. Like these guys that you love to watch them put guys through tables, they're done. Like they're separated now, they're on different shows. And I think it like lets you know, okay, like everything isn't always going to work out the way you want it to. Yeah, and this is where you got Reverend Devon, which was actually fun, with, with, with Deacon Batista yeah. <laughs> in the collection box. And Devon is noted saying, yeah, people really give us a lot of money in these collection boxes. <laughs> and the thing with the Dullies were they will get back together in November at Survivor Series, but they needed each other. Um, APA will re- reunite a few, couple of years later, but Bubba and Devon, they needed each other way more than um, – the other tag teams, like the Hardys, when they split, Jeff Hardy would get released, but they were fine on their own. Yeah, and Jeff Hardy had plenty of success on his own. Like Matt yeah. Hardy, even if he was not necessarily viewed by most people as being as <coughs> successful as Jeff, um, clearly, like if you look back on his career, just fine on his own. Yeah. You know, like the if you take the broken Hardy stuff out of it, and if you look at like just – the WWE stuff and the pre-broken stuff. You probably would say Jeff had the more successful career than Matt, um, but I think the broken stuff is probably more successful than anything they even did as a tag team. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, like this would hurt some guys, it would help other guys, but I think it was like a big moment on this show where they even had to acknowledge like. We're going our separate ways, and they had like the handshake, and I believe they even had the hug, and and you yep. had the crowd go like, "Ah," oh. <laughs> which you don't hear often <laughs> at a uh, a WWF or WWE event. Uh, Rikishi versus William Regal in a quick match that gets interrupted by the brand spanking new Brock Lesnar, a uh, young Brock Lesnar, yes, who comes in and destroys Rikishi. Do you? How much do you remember the first time you saw Brock Lesnar? He had debuted the week prior on Raw, and I, I was remember they used to sell the um, the WrestleMania um, books, mm-hmm. well the mag the big mag- yeah. ten dollar magazine. So, in the he was in the back of like the the guys that would be on like Metal and Sunday Night Heat. So it was ironically on the same page of him. It was him and Randy Orton. <laughs> ironically, I remember that. So like I remember. Going through the magazine, the magazine came always came out before WrestleMania, so maybe a month or so prior. I was like, okay, this guy looks like he looks like he could be something, you know, <laughs> nice looking guy. He's a big guy. He could be something, be something one day. Then I then I see him on Raw. I was like, oh my god, that's the guy from the from the magazine. Then Randy Orton would debut maybe a couple of months after that as well. So I had no idea Brock was gonna get this big push that he got because he was probably he's kind of the real first guy for my watching watching wrestling. He's the first like actual new guy that they actually did something with because everybody else they had success in wcw early and earlier on and whatever but this was the first time that somebody new was actually brought in that no company has ever seen and that it like actually worked yeah because i feel like what they did with brought now maybe this would not have been the same but like they obviously brought in the rock as rocky maivea expecting to make him like this huge deal and fans did not get on board with it so they couldn't do it but with Brock so I remember the first like the first time I saw him what was when he was on Raw and just being like holy shit like how's this guy real like my whole life watching wrestling and the the thing everyone even when we would do unsanctioned episodes and one of the things people say made them fall in love with wrestling you always hear people talk about the larger-than-life characters. So me growing up in the 80s and 90s, 
seeing a lot of these larger-than-life characters. But then seeing Brock Lesnar was almost like... Wrestling is cartoonish, for the most part. Like, that was kind of... Especially 80s WWE was cartoonish. And you had these giant monsters. But then you see Brock Lesnar, and he was almost like a cartoon of a cartoon, if that makes sense. Yeah, I know what you mean. Where it was like, oh my god, how is this guy this big and can move the way that he moves? Like just doing the vertical leap up onto the ring apron and just this like explosive guy who was massive guys who are that massive should not be able to move the way he does. And just being like, Oh my God, I've seen guy. He was one of the first guys that I looked at where, and I'm, I'm breaking character here a little bit. Um, one of the first guys I looked at was like, Oh my God, I would be terrified of this. guy. <laughs> like he was terrifying to me. Um, and, like, with good reason. And he became the champion by, was it SummerSlam? Yeah. And I couldn't believe that because every time, <clears throat> like, the way they, they built the entire thing was actually really good. Like, I never expect him to win King of the Ring. I didn't expect him to beat The Rock at SummerSlam. I was like, really? He beat The Rock already? And also, going back to the whole Ruthless Aggression documentary they did on Brock and they, it's actually a, a, a really good telling story, especially they hit a lot of FCW stuff as well. But I was like, I really couldn't believe it that he's actually the champion already less than a year. But every time he accomplished something, I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh, God, really? Yeah, and kind of never – they never really relented on, on that, like even yeah. 18 years later. But it's kind of funny because they – when The Rock got picked – uh, as the number one overall pick, one of the things they said was that the youngest champion, in, the youngest world champion in WWE history or WWF history, and then Brock Lesnar would go on to defeat him and become the youngest champion in WWF history. Correct, like breaking the Rock's mm-hmm. record. Um, so interesting, like that story dynamic of the guy who was the youngest champion in the history of the company ends up being defeated by the guy who would become the youngest champion after him. Yep. Um, but yeah, Brock, that era Brock was just like, really. And a lot of people I feel like overstate things, but that was the type of guy, the likes of which really we hadn't seen before. You yeah. know, he might not have had like the kind of charisma of like a Hogan or the rock or stone cold, but just from a physical perspective, he was like, no pun intended, but like a whole new beast <laughs> from <laughs> anything we had seen before. Uh, we got Jazz at WWF New York, uh, which was what it was. And just how yeah. the idea that WWF could support like an actual brick and mortar location like that. <laughs> like, could you imagine that now going into any city and seeing like a WWF run? Oh, no. Oh, definitely thing. not. Like, no, not, not at all. De- definitely not. Um, Vince comes out out of turn. <laughs> To select Brock Lesnar, which is fun. I love, I'm happy that they mentioned it on commentary. Because, you know, today they wouldn't. They would just have Vince come out and make the pick and probably just let it go. But as he comes out, I'm like, wait a minute, it's not his pick. And then they mentioned on commentary. Then he picks Brock. And then Richard comes out to say, like, it's not your pick, buddy. And it's like, well, I'll just give you the next two picks then. (laughs) Uh, But Richard... Once again, one-upping Vince and taking Brock right right out from under his nose. Vince takes Mark Henry. Richard takes Regal. Vince takes Maven. Richard takes Lita. And this is all now, again, they're like one-upping each other. It's just like a battle of pride at this point. <laughs> Neither guy wanting to let the other one get the better of him. Um, one of the best lines of the whole thing is Vince telling Flair... You only picked a woman because you're a lascivious pig. <laughs> <laughs> and you're going to turn Raw into a cesspool, <clears throat> which was, was great. And then Vince claims Austin is coming to SmackDown. And as much as he said he doesn't want uh, The Rock to say candy ass and these things anymore, he does say that my guys will lay the SmackDown on your guys, uh, basically taking a phrase from The Rock. Uh, but this segment with the two of them was was really funny again. Um, how happy were you when that Maven got picked? 
I love it. In in all this, like with I all love of the big names. My favorite part was when Regal got mad. He's like, it, it was a quick second. Like, I work for Mr. McMahon. Yeah, yeah. So disappointed. So basically, Flair is picking all the people that that should be working with Vince. Like, yeah, which which I think it was an excellent uh, storytelling touch. Um, now one of the big matches of the evening: Kurt Angle versus RVD for the coveted Intercontinental Championship. I do think it was great that the Intercontinental Championship was like highlighted this mm-hmm. way, uh, that it was like a big deal as to what show it would be on. And I'm curious how you feel about this. Like people talk a lot now about the talent level now. Like one of the things people talk a lot about is like the match quality during the Attitude Era was not up to par with what we get now. But if you look at the talent now, and I'm not, I'm not even just talking about like character wise. Like I talked about, I think Goldust and RVD are two guys similar to that on one of the the old shows we did, saying, "Are there any? Is there anybody now who even like in the main card, like main event picture?" who are as memorable as RVD and Goldust were back then? And the obvious answer is no. So I'm not even talking about like notoriety or popularity or being memorable. Just from a pure athletic like work standpoint, like these two guys, RVD and Kurt Angle, are up there with anybody you could see today. Like mm-hmm. This is definitely not a case of two guys where like the game has passed them by. If those two guys in their prime came into WWE now they'd be viewed as two of the best workers in like in in the company. Uh yeah. so cool to see this match these two unbelievable talents go up against each other a, a, a level of match that you know you would see today. Uh unfortunately did not get to bring it to conclusion. Angle got DQ'd pretty quick. Um Edge attacks Angle and the bump that Angle took on the spear like was a le- like such a legit like flat back where I was I, I even was like oh because <laughs> first he jumped over the spear then he took the next one uh-huh. um so where did Angle go coming out of this well this started Edge and Angle's feud and two months later at Judgment Day this is what this is the feud where Angle Angle lost his hair okay so that was right on the heels of this. Yeah. I was actually like, I didn't remember how this played out. I was like excited, like, oh, I'm going to get to see Angle versus RVD. We didn't really get to see that. Yeah. The way we would have liked. Uh, I would have loved that, though. Um, and Angle, once again, just another in a line of disappointments for Mr. McMahon <laughs> throughout the course of the night. And this is something I said. Was this, did I talk about this on, I guess it must have been the the Nitro review. Like, one of my favorite things was the idea of, like, Mr. McMahon is, like, the all-powerful being trying to screw everyone over, but somehow it's just always him taking L after L after L. And this is, like, another case of that, of, like, he's just losing left and right. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Then we get to to the main event, uh, Stephanie versus Jericho versus Triple H. For the undisputed championship, um, I mean, to me, the, the the main note of this whole thing is just Stephanie immediately laying down to try to let Jericho. Yeah, that, that was her. great. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> she tried to get. Got that, get I love that. Uh, I thought that was excellent. I really enjoyed, um, like I've always been a fan of the idea of someone being so cocky until now they're confronted with the thing they're being cocky about and now they're afraid like it's mm-hmm. one of the things i talked about with seth rollins on wrestlemania one of my favorite things is him saying let's talk <laughs> about this like you run your mouth you're so cocky you're so sure of yourself but now you're like confronted with this other person and you're like whoa can we talk about this stephanie you know being confronted with the triple h and all of a sudden that like now she's scared <laughs> she sold that beautifully i enjoyed the interaction between the two of them um it is funny though that like the babyface commentator like wants him to beat up the woman and the heel commentator Jerry is like who would, so who would do nowadays. this? It's like an odd thing to see. Especially but, with JR's call like JR's call on it, like mm-hmm. uh like when 
Tori left Kane. He was like, Tombstone Tori. She's a Jezebel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he even said and that in just, this. Like his Jezebel like, ex-wife. He's like, she deserves it. It's so good. Yeah, it, it's entertaining. Um, you, you obviously love the moment when you finally get the tension between Jericho and Stephanie. When they kind of turn on each other in that moment. Um, Triple H ends up getting to pin Stephanie, which is like a satisfying moment. And still... It is so funny and, like, feels so weird to see Triple H be, like, the hero that everyone (laughs) is cheering for. Like, he has spent so much of his career being not that, like, the opposite of that. Like, you almost forget that there were times that he was, like, a beloved fan favorite. Mm -hmm. Is this – so you're – you obviously are probably the biggest Triple H fan that I know. Is your Triple H fandom, like, does it stem more from, like, the DX Triple H? Does it stem more from, like, this era of Triple H? Like, him having, like, the heroic comeback from the injury and getting that huge pop with the the jean jacket and leather jacket? <laughs> is it, like, wh- or does it come from stuff after that? Is it the whole body of work? Like, what is it? What part of Triple H is it that made you the, the big Triple H fan that you are? Well... I liked him in DX in um, 90, 90, uh, 98 and 99. But the way, the thing that really took over from Triple H for me was his heel run. And, and, and mind you, as a kid, you're impressionable. So, like, the smallest thing makes you like somebody. Like, I loved his theme song. Like, right. my time, I loved it. Like, the, um, the, the, the whole the, all the likes and the effects, like, I, I loved it. And at the time, I believe he was either champion or just or dropped the title. A couple, maybe to the big show at this time, but it's 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 a whole body of work basically. But I, but my fandom of Triple H was mainly when he was a heel because like I I just generally liked him. Okay, so that was one of the things I was thinking watching this is like maybe this is what oh no made young Alo like jump all in on on Triple H when he no, was, was like, like the hero of the company. Oh no, no, it was heel Triple H that I okay. love. He's, he's like as a kid like you don't grow grow up grow up and really like bad guys, but he was one of the one of the actual like bad guys I actually got like I know sometimes my mom will go when we will go um shopping or to the mall or whatever I get a toy and she'll be like, "Isn't he a bad guy?" And I'm like, <laughs> "Yeah, but I like him." <laughs> yeah, it, it's just so funny to me. To see that, like it's just it just comes across as weird because he's been the villain and really has propped himself up as like the villain of his generation. It's just weird to remember that, like, oh yeah, there was a time when like people loved him as much as anyone else. Uh, we get Stephanie losing it as she's getting dragged out because she's so furious that they well, couldn't. One more, th- mm-hmm. one more thing I want to add: I love how he took it easy on her with a spine buster. Yeah, he did. <laughs> <laughs> um. Your thoughts on this on this match, though? Like, as far as as matches go, obviously it's not a classic, but it it's one of those ones that stands out for for a variety of reasons. So, like, how do you remember this one? It was a mess, but it served its purpose. Uh, like you said, right right away, Stephanie lays down for Jericho right away, and then there was even a spot where both 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 Jericho and Triple H are down, and Stephanie kind of like crawling to the ring, and she pins both of them, yeah. which I thought was funny, but. <laughs> Nothing, rem- nothing rememberable, but it, the batch served its purpose. Yeah, did what it was supposed to do. Um, and then, so Triple H obviously leaves as the undisputed champion. And then when would he lose it? Did he lose ne- it to Hogan? Yeah, he lost it to Hogan at Backlash, yeah. The next pay-per-view. Okay, and then Hogan lost it to The Rock. Or no, no? he lost to The Undertaker. The, basically, the title sw- switched hands almost every month in 2002. Yeah, because Brock wins it at SummerSlam. So and he loses it in November. And then who dethroned Brock? Big Show. And then Big Show lost at the angle. So 2002, the, the, the world title switched hands a lot. Um, yeah, so clearly a very uh, volatile time in WWF. Not yes. having anyone run with it for a while. Um, so this is clearly a Raw that you probably... Did not specifically remember standing out to you. It was only after you started rewatching it, like, oh, this is something we should talk about. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad that I watched it. I had a lot of fun with it. And how nice is it to just sit down and just breeze through it in an hour and a half? 
Oh yeah. Like, Definitely. Think just think about this. Yeah. I watched an episode of Raw last night from 2002 that was over in an hour and 34 minutes. If I want to watch Raw live on Monday now, I'm spending literally double that time. Well, it's not even that. It's, it's not even the fact that it's an hour and 30 minutes. It's, it doesn't even feel like an hour and 30 minutes. Right. It moves by so fast. Right. Like, there are times when I'm watching something and I'll be, like, checking, okay, how much, how far into this am I? Like, please tell me I'm at least halfway through. And when I checked uh, last night, I wasn't even checking out of like, okay, let's how far, how much more of this do I have left? Um, I was in the middle of doing some stuff, so I was like, all right, let me see how much time I have. Do I want to finish this now or finish it later? And I would have thought I was like a half hour in, and I was like fifty five minutes in. So I was like, oh my god, I'm like almost done. I might as well just finish it now. Um, yeah, it was a fun show during a fun era. Uh, obviously. I, I guess in in a way WWF was never quite the same after this because we had the brand split and then the brand extension like lasted for a while and then went away and the rules were like not really <laughs> followed so closely for periods of time and and then to a degree the the rules recently were followed a little too closely and then not closely enough again. I still am a fan of WWE is one company. And everyone should be under that company. And like, really, I think that the, the the most recent brand split is what led to me hitting another like, you know, low in my wrestling fandom history of just like I can't invest in two different shows plus NXT plus like especially when the pay per views were separate, mm-hmm. it was just way too much and not enough of it good. Um, so I don't think we'll ever get WWE as one company again. I think it'll always be separate brands. I don't know what would ever change it. Um, but yeah, this was kind of a night that changed the course of wrestling history, even though a lot of people may not look back on it like that. Like nothing was ever quite the same again after that, but a fun show. Any like final thoughts on this show? Um, no, not really. I think you hit on everything because, like you said, nothing's going to – this is basically what wrestling was going to be. And grant, grant, this is 18 years ago, and it's still going on now. And like you said, like there were rules, but the rules weren't followed. And like, oh, they forgot about the rules, so we'll just do whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so that's just what wrestling is. It's, just, it's still a television show at the end of the day. R- rules always matter. It's like the whole editing thing we talked about with the WrestleMania episode. Like, get over it. It's TV. Like any other TV show. So many loopholes. But I think we did a pretty pretty good job on this one. I'm glad, I'm glad you agreed to watch it. Yeah. Well, it, it was fun. And I think especially because I enjoyed – WrestleMania 18 to the level I did. I was like, yeah, why not? You know, this this is coming. I just watched the the WrestleMania that happened a week before, so it's not like I'm unaware of what was going on at the time. Uh, it's always kind of fun to see where they go out of WrestleMania. Uh, not always as big of a change as this, where they're changing the landscape of the company, but it was fun. And um, I don't know if you saw, this is the last thing I think I'll talk about, that XFL basically has terminated all of their day-to-day employees today. Oh, that, that's what I saw? Because before, before we started, I had an alert about that, but I didn't really read it. Yeah, they said it was like a 10-minute conference call where basically they terminated everyone, and there are no plans to return for 2021 at the moment. So okay. coronavirus may have taken out the XFL enterprise. I guess we'll see. Well, at least they paid the players. They did. Um, how many games did they get in? Like five? Um, Four or I, I'd five? Say, I, I'd say about that. And how, Do you know how many they were supposed to have? Uh, I don't remember. Oh, yeah. Season cut short, maybe an end to the company as a whole. Um, I'm not crying any tears uh, for Vince McMahon <laughs> or the XFL. I couldn't have cared less about the thing anyway. But it sucks for all those people who now – don't have jobs there and how many people probably left jobs to go work there it sucks um and hopefully those people all land on their feet uh and then this will actually be the last thing i think i saw that they are still recording raw smackdown and nxt for the time being so if they're not stopping now i would guess that they won't because florida did officially start the stay at home order last week 
And if they're still going to record, clearly they're not adhering to the stay at home. So I guess we're not getting a break in weekly WWE action. Yeah, or, or AEW. So, because that's still Florida as well. Oh, I, yeah, believe right. I believe their, their tapings are in Florida as well. So, no, no slowdown for pro wrestling. UFC was derailed last night. You know, their event is now off the calendar, but wrestling still forges on, I guess. Um, <laughs> so, anyway, if, if you watched uh, this episode of Raw, uh, before we recorded, my guess is probably not because I think we only really advertised this within the last few days, right? On, on the show, yeah. I posted it yesterday on Instagram, I believe. Well, yeah, my advice, go if you haven't already, go watch this episode of Raw. You'll have a lot of fun. Um, if you had any thoughts on it yourself, feel free to share them with us. And, Ayla, what is the next topic uh, you're looking to do? I don't know if we're going to have a show, you know, tomorrow or the day after, but what is it? what other things are you trying to get to during your uh, bonus quarantine content? Well, <laughs> well I'm, I, I'm trying to get the guys together so we could talk about the, the uh, Mattel WrestleMania figure reveals from last weekend. But next week on the dock is the Raw after WrestleMania 14, so Raw 1998. All right, so join us for that one. I hope you enjoyed this show. If you haven't already, listen to our WrestleMania review show. Um, for Mr. Friday Afternoon, we call him Halo. The ladies call him Balo, Aaron Lloyd. I am Ron Pashery Jr., and we will see you next week. Talking madness, awesome well, what I'm cooking, man, y'all off the smell.